every time I'm on the train and I'm like looking around at people, I realize like we're all the same. Like we all look the same. Yeah. Humans all look the same. No, we really do. We're like, it's like the equivalent of like a litter of kittens. Like they all have like different patterns and look slightly different, but like they all kind of do look the same. We're animals. We're just like a pack of kittens. Like I, me and my ex kind of looked alike. There is one picture of you and your ex. Mm-hmm. That Definitely really looks like, like I know. There's like, I, tra- I actually submitted that picture to siblings or dating. <laughs> yeah. they, never, they never checked it. They never checked it. It was mm. really embarrassing. Honestly, I felt like I got rejected. <laughs> no, yeah, I know that picture. We're in the bath. We're in the, and we look like um, the girls from Extreme Sisters. Extreme Sisters? <laughs> what about yeah. that was extreme? Well, it's this reality show. They're just like so sisters. <laughs> They really are. That literally is the premise. When I go to visit my grandma in hospice, we watch watch Extreme Sisters every time. It's always on. Um, And it's just about, like, twins or just sisters that are, like, so close. And they just, like, take baths together. They sleep with their legs intertwined. Like, it's very incestuous. One was, like, sucking on the other one's toes. Like, it was, it's, like, actually for fetish content, I think. But is it a lot of reality TV? Is it on TLC? TV? I think it's on of course one it's of those. On TLC. Uh, yeah, it's on one of those. What, what does TLC stand for? The Learning Channel? That's, the yeah. That's well, wait, does it actually stand for yes, The Learning Channel? it does. Well, you learn a lot about how close... Some people are some, to death. Some siblings. Oh. <laughs> I mean, my sister's about life. Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought we were still talking about extreme something. I was like, did you see an episode I didn't? <laughs> so, well, we kind of, like, just started talking and you're here. Should we, like... That was our coldest, openest, cold open. It, <laughs> so, if you guys couldn't tell, uh, today's guest is someone that you guys might already know. You may have heard her quippy comments in the background of our episodes. Our guest today is our very own sound engineer, Gia Lombardo. Welcome, Gia. Hi. We love Gia, and we love how her girl autism manifests in infinite train knowledge. Yes, Gia knows a lot about transit. Emily also knows a lot about transit. Um, I'm not as tapped in about all of this as you guys, so I'm very interested to learn more. Yeah, I got into it around a year ago. I would just, like, get really high and watch train videos, but then it got serious. Oh, as it always does. Um, Well, we're going to get into all of that today. I'm Evangelia. And I'm Emily. And welcome to What's Gonna Happen. So both of you have actually been hit by cars in the past year. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> um, you guys have some personal beef with the automobile. To be fair, I had beef with cars even before the incident. Mm, because, so. Yeah, before you were mauled by one. <laughs> yes, mauled, mauled is a fitting word. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like to be hit by a car? It was extremely embarrassing. Oh, yeah. Embarrassment always comes before the pain. The car, like, hit me and I fell to the ground and the lady who hit me came out and she was like, are you okay? And I was just like in such bad fight or flight that I just like collected all of my things and ran away. <laughs> you didn't say anything. You just no, like, I was just like nobody talked to me. Looked at her with your eyes wide, like a deer. Yeah, imagine you hit someone with your car and you're like, "Are you okay?" And they say nothing. They just picked it back. I know. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I sprinted home. Like <laughs> the same thing pretty much happened to me. It was genuinely one of the most embarrassing moments of my life because I was having an over the phone argument with my girlfriend when a car came from around the corner and hit me so hard that my shoes flew off my feet and I slid across the sidewalk. I mean, honestly, at least you had some emotional manipulation leverage to win that um, over-the-phone argument because you almost died. Like, that has to count for something. Oh, yeah, the argument ended right then and there. You were almost martyred for the sake of it, so... It gets even worse, though, because the guy who hit me gets out of his car and is like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I guess I was just, like, bubbling over in embarrassment and rage and, like, adrenaline that I just started screaming at him. I was like, fuck you, you fucking asshole. I called him a f- it. <laughs> like, fuck you. I made him go get my shoes that were in the middle of the street and got run over by two more cars. <laughs> I just the shoes you wore today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He wore shoes that were run over by three cars. There's literally holes and like tire marks. 
<laughs> I was it was a mess. It was I think I have trauma now. I get so scared when I see turning cars. I get so mad You're when I see turning cars. Definitely traumatized. I see it in your eyes when we're crossing the street. You look like that little boy <laughs> that got lost in the woods. <laughs> I feel like him. <laughs> that shell shock like thousand yard stare. <laughs> Nobody tells you like how violating it is. My thing is both of you guys really fumbled the bag. Like if I got hit by a car, then my pride is going out the window. I'm rolling over, I'm howling in pain, I'm getting a lawyer. I'm just I'm securing compensation. I I really should have done that. I don't know why I did it. It's like I, I blame cars a lot, but also like I I would get hit by a car for the insurance money, absolutely. <laughs> like yeah, like I have so much fucking student debt. Like I need to get hit by a car. Cars are evil. I think that they make Americans fat. They make America ugly. Car dependent infrastructure ruins our country's landscape. Car dependence on an individual level makes it harder for people to get in basic physical activity. And worst of all, car dependence is a big reason why you can't go out and get drunk with all your friends. Yeah, like who wants to be designated driver? I don't, not in Biden's America. Yeah, I saw this tweet that was like, you people just want walkable cities so you can go out and get drunk without having to worry about Ubers or drunk driving. And like, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Why are you mad about that? It's quite literally safer. Yeah, it is. According to the CDC, car crashes are a leading cause of death for people ages 1 through 54 in America. And they're the leading cause of non-natural death for U.S. citizens residing or traveling abroad. Yeah, the uh, New York State Department of Health says that cars are the leading cause of injury-related death for New York State residents, just like overall. And look, I do want to preface everything that we're about to say by saying that I don't think cars are all bad, okay? I think it's really cool to basically have another room that you own. I think they're fun to hotbox. I think they're nice when you're too tired to commute, but I just think that cars should be optional and not mandatory. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Riding down a highway drunk blasting music at night is the best, especially if you're the one driving. <laughs> Yet another pro-drunk driving take from the number one drunk driving podcast in the tri-state area. What's going to happen? People drunk drive while listening to our podcast. Yeah, people need to be drunk driving. To no, we're we're bringing, queering drunk driving. We're queering drunk driving. Oh, my God. I feel like, I feel like people gravitate towards cars because they feel like it, like, allows for more freedom or whatever and like that's understandable considering the state of public transit in this country but like it's just crazy to me that we all got collectively like brainwashed into this idea that like the car is the ultimate sign of freedom and freedom is sitting Mm -hmm. in hours of traffic and like a giant metal box that's just like spitting out chemicals yeah. Constantly. No, yeah. I mean, especially, like, I think it's harder for us to conceptualize what it would have been like to, like, require a car because we all grew up in the city and none of us have our licenses. Yeah. <laughs> you were thinking about, like, I wouldn't want to be the designated driver. What are you, but we're taking the six train. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> no, yeah, um, none of us can drive. Probably wouldn't be able to very well anyway because oh, we're all gay. So. We're all gay. I'm blind. Yeah. <laughs> um... But most people in other parts of the country, when they, you know, turn 16 and are able to start driving, like, that is when they feel like they get their freedom. And it is such, like, a part of coming of age in this country is, like, getting your car and getting your freedom. But, like, kids in other countries where there's, like, you know, walkable cities and walkable neighborhoods, like, kids have that freedom from day one. That's why they mature faster. Yeah, exactly. That's true. I guess, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, cars pose a lot of issues, you know, financially, environmentally, when it comes to time efficiency. But in most places in America, like I was saying, it's only fe- it's the only feasible commute choice, um, you know. And so many places in this country are like six minutes by car, you know, 30 minutes by foot and four hours by transit for like no reason. No, yeah, like it's insane. It takes me an hour and a half to get to your house from mine and it's a 20 minute car ride. I feel like we don't even realize how skewed our perception of distance is because of the transit system. Like, in my head, we live much further away from each other than we do because I'm so used to quantifying distance by commute length. Oh, definitely. So you guys know a lot about this stuff. You know, um, I don't know that much about how we got to the point of car dependency that we're at, and I'm really curious about how that happened. Well, that exact topic is one of my hyperfixations, so you are in luck. And this may come as a shock, but I'm a New York Jew, so of course I have very strong opinions about the trains. Yeah, I do want to talk about like the transit system in America as a whole and why it's so disparate 
compared to some other countries. But first, I do want to talk about, like, the New York subway system in particular and how it became so shit. You know, because we have, like, the second oldest metro system in the world, like, only second to London by, like, a year. And our system served as the inspiration for metros, you know, all around the world. Um, so why is the system that kind of started it all now considered one of the worst comparatively? Understanding what happened to New York subway does serve as, like, a microcosm as to what happened to transit across the country and stuff. And it's just a combination of lack of funding and a push for car dependency. Can you briefly walk us through that history? So the first regularly operated subway was opened in 1904 and it was run by the Interborough Rapid Transit Company, otherwise known as the IRT. There was one train from 96 down to 42nd Street. Obviously, the demand for trains went up, and then eventually there was three main companies that expanded the subway, the IRT, which was the numbered lines, the BMT, which is the lettered lines, and the IND, which ended up being the BDFM. And the IND was um, the independent subway, which was independently run by the New York State um, government in order to compete with the private companies. So instead of like one unified MTA as we know it, there were three independent companies that controlled the trains. Yeah. So beautiful. <laughs> like they were all like these different, you know, areas and then they all became unified. It was like what happened to Germany. Yeah, oh yeah, it's just like when Germany reunited. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. That's why car that's why the train cars on like the letter number lines are different widths and lengths. The BMT trains are wider so that the BMT trains can't run on the IRT lines. So that's just, like, completely arbitrary. It's just to distinguish, like, Completely the... arbitrary. But yeah, they basically ended up merging into the MTA in the 1940s because the IRT and the BMT started failing financially and because of inconsistency and redundancy within the system. So operating them all as one thing was just more efficient. Yeah. So yeah, leading into the 70s, they were really trying to find their footing as a unit, and the subways got really dangerous and unkempt towards the end of the 70s. They really started cracking down on graffiti and just management in general. The state started pouring a shit ton of money into the subways and the trains, and they eventually started doing better. Until the mid-90s. Yes, that is when Rudy Giuliani swooped in and slashed their capital budget by half. Now, why did Rudy Giuliani do that? He's so bad. He's such a bad little boy. <laughs> you guys, he's literally going to jerk off to this. Like, two young alive. women degrading him in public. I feel like that's exactly the kind of thing he'd be into. He was a Republican, which should kind of speak for itself. But he thought that spending money on public transit was like a waste and that we were spending too much money on it. When in reality, transit is just expensive and requires money for maintenance. He got the budget by nearly $400 million in 1994, and we just never recovered since. So we're, like, still picking up the pieces after falling behind exactly. in, the mid, in the 90s? Yeah. Basically, because Giuliani decimated the funding, the MTA was forced to take on a shit ton of loans from Wall Street that it's still paying off to this day. And even worse, on top of all these loans, the New York State government has also been using the MTA effectively as a piggy bank to fund projects that are completely unrelated to transit. So, like, what what are some of those projects that they fund? According to the New York Times article, How Politics and Bad Decisions Starve New York City Subways, Cuomo's administration forced the MTA to spend nearly $5 million to bail out three state-run ski resorts that were struggling after an unusually warm winter. What the fuck? They were ski resorts? So they're spending MTA money on, like, ski resorts. Ski resorts? The MTA pays over triple its debt from Which, yeah, so global warming is destroying their ski resorts, oh, so they're yeah. using the our money, money to, to, yeah, the tax money. That's yeah. awesome. Boo, Cuomo. Boo. Cuomo. Yeah, the MTA is actually like state-run, not city-run, so it is a governor problem and not a mayor problem. You know, when I was at the Gay Pride Parade in 2019, they had a float for Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> the queer community was like gay. really claiming. That's just funny when you said gay pride. Parade. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I tried to float your old man. It's like you go to the gay pride parade. He's like bed. <laughs> I think it's really beautiful how the queer community claimed him for being one of those Italian people that's so Italian that they're kind of gay. I mean, all Italians are kind of gay. I don't know about that. Take it from this kind of gay Italian. So good old-fashioned corruption just is, like, one of the main reasons why 
trains are always delayed and they're always dirty and broken and all that. Is that what you're saying? And the stations they do prioritize are usually in wealthy areas like the Fulton Street Station. Oh, yeah. That's a great example of a pet project that was facilitated by NYC government officials. Yeah, they built this station that is honestly like just too big for its own good and took forever to build. And took up resources that could have been used in stations that needed it more. And it turns out the whole thing was financed because this really rich guy, Sheldon Silver, who's also the former speaker of the New York General Assembly, lives right next to the station and funneled over a billion dollars of MTA money into getting it made. Meanwhile, there are plenty of stations whose signaling infrastructure is literally 100 years old. And look, the transit system in its current state is nowhere near the worst it's ever been. But we still have plenty of issues that any New Yorker could identify. Like, according to that same New York Times article that I cited earlier... New York subway now has the worst on-time performance of any major rapid transit system in the world. Just 65% of weekday trains reach their destinations on time, the lowest rate since the transit crisis of the 1970s when graffiti-covered cars regularly broke down. Those are lucky the good old days, though, because I would have wanted to ride on one of those graffiti-covered trains. Oh, those were cool. They were really... I think they look better that way. I, I think I think they low-key do, too. Like, literally... Have you seen like, the documentary Style Wars? Yes. I, I have, have never seen... That's a really seen... good documentary. Anybody should watch that who's into, like, graffiti or oh, just, like, interested in the culture of, like, the 70s. It's so cool. I've never seen another documentary that has made me wish it was summer 1979 so bad. <laughs> <laughs> a great example of just how incompetent... The MTA is uh, when it comes to infrastructure is the Second Avenue subway, which has taken them about 150 years and counting. To wow, 150 just years. Three stations. To make three so, so why the fuck would it take 150 years? You know, just put some fucking lesbians in charge because dykes run blue collar projects like it's the goddamn Navy. If you put some Joni Mitchell on a boombox and just like give everyone a carabiner for morale, they would have 12 stations done in, like, a week. (laughs) And the solution to all of our MTA needs is a dyke task force. It is. Like, I'm serious. I'm going to Henrietta's, and I'm recruiting for the MTA. (laughs) I know you're joking, but it it does that does speak to a major issue. Like, one of the reasons why it takes so long for projects like this to get done is, especially in America, a lot of governments have a tendency to contract out work instead of getting people in-house to do it. So, like... People who work at the MTA should be designing stations, not an outside firm that's going to overcharge, you know? Right. We need less station mosaics and more functional stations. Like, I don't know if you've been to, like, I think it's the it's either the 72nd or the 86th Street station on the queue. Not me forgetting my own train. That's your train. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's one, like, mosaic that looks exactly like Kramer from Seinfeld. I think I know what you're talking about. I know what mosaic you're talking about. It looks exactly like Kramer. It really does. I mean, I think there's a place for, you know, displaying that kind of art. Like we. I agree. To- they should put Kramer in every <laughs> But yeah, you know, focusing on aesthetics to some extent is important, but functionality is way more important. Kind of feels like a lot of the time they want to build up aesthetics for tourists. Um... But then, like, the construction of the subways that don't get tended to, like, is affecting the actual residents. No, yeah, I mean, I live off the queue, and I've lived off the queue for most of my life, and the construction of the Second Avenue line, major inconvenience. Yeah, that's how I felt when they were doing all that construction on the L when I was in high school, and, like, do you know how painful it is for the L train to be your lifeline, like, your daily train? Like, it just sucks. No, yeah, the L train is, like, what my dad always says about cops, never there when you need them, always there when you don't. Mm, I like that. And the thing is with, like, the Second Avenue subway is, like, it's a very necessary line. Like, there's been all this procrastination with it, but it's since its conception, it's been considered an essential line for the city. Oh, yeah, I love it. It just seems so indicative of where New Yorkers are as a priority to the New York government. Like, the people that fund this whole ordeal and use the system on a daily basis are the ones that get the most overlooked. Like, the people that are actually paying for these trains to exist are late to everything because they're never well kept. Exactly. And the Second Avenue subway was built to replace the elevated lines that were next to it. Which, like... Like those, I like those lines so much better. The outdoor lines, right? Like that's yeah. what the High Line used to mm-hmm. be. 
Yeah, they removed those lines to replace them with subways. Which is so gay because everyone knows elevated lines are so much better. Riding an elevated line is like looking out the window and being in an indie film. And then like when you ride the underground like subways, looking out the window is like looking into the dark, unforgiving mouth of the devil. Just like a haunted house. Yeah, it's just like dead bodies, rats, flickering lights. That's, yeah, I, I much prefer to be able to like look at the whole city and like yeah. the sky. Definitely. And listen to my music. There used to be like way more elevated lines like the whole city used to be like covered in elevated lines people really didn't like when they were removing them like i wouldn't have liked it either yeah no people really liked the elevated lines there was this bloomberg news article by vincent vaught called when Manhattan had elevated trains that said many opposed removing elevated lines especially on the subway port east side skeptics questioned the wisdom of displacing the 25 million people on the third avenue l yep then they never listened Crime rates are higher now, which I guess is, like, partially the result of the environment of the train and, like, how it's cared for. Like, I feel like when when something is in better condition and functions properly, people are less likely to treat it poorly. It's, like, a social stigma that kind of gets stronger when you're in a well-kept space. Like, how your friends are... Um, more likely to leave garbage in your car if your car is dirty than if it was clean. Or you're more likely to litter if there's already trash everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally. There's like a baseline for respect when there's a higher expectation for a place. There's this New York Times article called How Safe is New York City Subway. They described a system with fewer riders but more volatile ones. They spoke of an increase in crime, the rate of violent crimes, murder, rape, felony, assault, robbery. <laughs> You're like, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> it's basically subway crime is up like 30%. Dwell time for trains is getting worse, and ridership has stagnated at 60% of 2019 levels. Yeah, one of my friends was just like sitting on the train on her phone, and a dude came up to her and just started like punching her in the face. Jesus, what the fuck? <laughs> no, and yeah, like that sucks. And another friend of mine had some dude start screaming in her face and backing her into a corner, so she pulled a knife on him and she started chasing him until he switched cars. Sometimes you just have to out crazy the crazy. No, yeah, like one time I was on the train um, with my ex when I was in high school, and a man threw his shoe at my ex's face like really hard, and then at this MTA work got up and pulled out a switchblade and then started chasing the guy who threw the shoe. Well, I mean, I was walking through Port Authority once and I guess I like bumped, I bumped into this lady because it was like crowded or whatever and her husband or whatever came up to me and like literally like hit me in the back of the fucking head and like fucking knocked my fucking backpack over and was like, don't fucking bump into my wife or whatever. What a freak. Yeah. He was a European tourist. That explains so, everything. Yeah. I honestly don't have many stories of train harassment, although that is almost definitely because I have my earbuds in all the time and I need glasses but don't wear them. So I basically just <laughs> go through life without seeing or hearing anything. Yeah, you're just living on bat mode. Yeah, if anybody wanted to attack me, I'd be the perfect victim. I would not see or hear it coming. But honestly, I probably do get harassed more than I realize because I basically put myself in a sensory deprivation tank every time I leave the house. <laughs> Damn, bitch, what fucking music are you listening to that has you so tapped out? The Smiths. <laughs> what is that Smith song? And if a double-decker bus crashes into us? <laughs> That's my favorite Smith song. Is that, our, is that our favorite Smith song? Yeah. Are we basic? It's kind of basic. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of basic that you listen to the Smiths. Actually, that's not true. My favorite Smith song is Sweet and Tender Hooligan. My favorite Smith song is No Clarity by Ice Spice. <laughs> <laughs> so which one of you is going to tell me uh, why crime rate has gone up so much in the subways? Well, you know, we're in a recession, so that always makes crime go up. I also don't think it's, like, super, super dangerous on the train. Like, there's this narrative that it's got really horrible, like it was in the 70s, but in reality, it's not that different than it's been. I mean, maybe that is because I can't see or hear anything. <laughs> I've bitch. seen you walk down the street, though, and you do walk with determination. Like, I saw you. <laughs> I was in a taxi, and I saw someone on the street outside of the window. She was walking and playing her music out loud, and she was wearing go-go boots, and she was, like, catwalk strutting and singing along to the music. She's like, I can walk around deaf and blind. No, but you're trying to get scouted down the street. At least you were walking. I was taking a car. Exactly. We were on two separate sides of the world. I was in the car and you were... I was with the people. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was wearing like a vintage designer sparkly romper. 
<laughs> I think paranoia in general is just like high on the trains ever since those back-to-back cases of girls getting thrown into the tracks, you know? Or like that guy who threw his bag of shit in a girl's face. <laughs> Do you know? Okay, that guy though, he had to leave in the middle of his trial because he had another trial for a hate crime that he had to go to. Oh my god. Didn't he like smear shit on her face and she was just sitting there? Yeah, she literally was was just sitting there. She she wasn't even on the train, she was on the platform. She was like waiting on the platform. I don't like talking about it. He was hitting on her and she ignored him. That's what happened. I got hit on today at Port Authority. He asked me for money and then tried asking me out on that date. You gotta say yes to one of them. <laughs> when I'm in the trains, like, I try to really, like, stay as close to the wall as possible. Yeah, like, the other day I was waiting for the train, and I was walking down the track to find, like, a good wall to put my back against, you know, so that I don't get thrown in and <laughs> killed. Um, and I guess it was going fast, or maybe it was because I was wearing a hoodie, uh, I was I was trying to seem as unapproachable and off-putting as possible. I generally try to do that when I'm walking in public. But this, like, one dude in particular whipped around, and he looked at me, and then he, like, was aggressively tapping my arm. And I take my earbuds out, and I'm like, I hope this dude is not planning on shoving me into the tracks, because that is what I'm afraid of. And then he was with a heavy-ass attitude. He's like, excuse me, but in New York, we don't run up on people like that. Watch yourself. And I was baffled, because I'm from New York, so don't talk to me like I'm not from New York. But then I saw myself, and I was like, I was like, immediately I was scared of him in the same way he was scared of me. So I was like, I'm sorry, I scared you. I tried to get up against the wall because I don't want anyone to push me. And then his attitude faded and he was like, oh, me too. Like, that's why you scared me. Like, he thought I was going to push him too. A lot of that paranoia is being fueled by Eric Adams, who wants to incentivize people to support police funding. There's also just a lot of news that fear mongers us on a regular basis. But again, in my experience, things haven't been noticeably more dangerous. Unless someone's being, like, clearly erratic, then, like, I'm not worried. Yeah, I think paranoia, like, it furthers the individuality complex so many New Yorkers and just, like, Americans in general tend to have. And it sucks because the more skeptical you are of the people around you, the harder it is to be, like, part of a community-oriented society and, like, connect with each other against the system. Car-dependent infrastructure promotes toxic American capitalist individuality. Why don't we have even more train options and stuff? Like, in New York, there are areas that you can't get from one location to the next without a car. New York is one of the hardest places to build anything because real estate is just so fucking expensive here. It costs something to the tune of, like, billions of dollars per mile of train track, especially somewhere like Second Avenue, you know, where you're going under, like, a lot, a lot of real estate and stuff. It's just like that a lot of politicians are wary of transit because it's such a large initial investment but they don't understand the payoff you know right and even though it will pay off in time it's really hard for anyone to see past that large upfront cost yeah our transit here is like a center point for the distribution of all kinds of cargo and stuff nationally too yeah like take the northeast corridor if the northeast corridor shuts down that cuts off 25 percent of the u.s economy easy so wait, New York, like in particular, is responsible for yeah. a quarter of the U.S. economy. Well, the Northeast yeah. Corridor, which is like that tunnel outside your window right there. If that uh, thing gets shut it's down, fucking twenty-five percent of the U.S. economy. Guys. That's a lot. So oh, so they're taking perfect care of the trains and the no. stations, and everything is in really good condition. That's a big chunk. Oh fucking of. Oh yeah, no. Ask anybody who knows anything about infrastructure, and they'll they will literally tell you it is held together by duct tape, glue, and prayer. Oh, cool. After Hurricane Sandy, all that shit that was supposed to hold the tracks together was just like punched fucking loose and it's all just shaking around and moving oh, with the tides and Ew. really bad. Yeah, a uh, tunnel that moves like a shoelace in a bathtub. Yeah. No, yeah, like New York City has the most developed transit system in the entire country, but it's basically like being the most genetically diverse Habsburg. <laughs> which one of us is the closest related to a Habsburg it would probably be me yeah Italian and German Italian and German yeah wow 
Yeah, no, we have the worst on-time performance of any major rapid transit system in the world. It's just so humiliating. It's just really, it's frustrating as, like, an American to, like, visit other countries and see how developed their transit is compared to ours. But my thing is, how did they pass us so drastically if we had the head start? I mean, you know, as a country, we're wealthier than a lot of places who have superior transit than us. And we started building our trains earlier, Right? Yeah. So what happened? Like, in the 60s, places like Europe and Asia were largely building up their transit networks while we were building out our highway networks. and mm, uh, Just destroying marginalized just, communities, yeah. plowing yep. through neighborhoods plowing that house people of color. Like nobody's business. Yep. Yep. Uh, and just overall making sure that the outside is as terrible to exist in outside of a car. Of Not course. to mention, you know, like, this is all going down in the 60s mm-hmm. during the post-war period. Well, not that peace and love because America <laughs> is selling this idea of suburban life and neglecting our city centers. Meanwhile, other countries were building up their urban cores, densifying and modernizing their transport systems. So like many of the most developed transit systems in places like Asia were built up during the period of economic prosperity brought on after World War II. Plus, the obviously, the racist demonization of cities has to have influence over people's preference for cars. Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. A lot of Americans, especially suburbanites, are conditioned Suburbanites? <laughs> yeah, suburbanites. You've never heard that never word before. Sounds like ter- termites. Yeah. They are like termites. They are like termites. I'm going to try to make suburbanite a slur. Those suburbanites are conditioned to see cities as these like lawless hellscapes because of the news always making them out to be. And also because of racism, obviously. And a lot of these suburbanites fled cities in the 70s when urban decay was happening. And that's kind of the image of cities that they have in their heads. Yeah, there's actually this term NIMBY, which stands for not in my backyard. You might have heard of it. Sounds familiar. It was coined in the 70s, but a lot of people still use it today to describe these people because they really do still exist. It refers to someone, usually a member of like a homeowners association or a community board who continually blocks development of transit or dense housing or basically any kind of development that would change the landscape of a single family residential neighborhood to be more friendly to higher density. NIMBYism and Karenism tends to overlap. Mm, Yeah, in our Third Spaces episode, we spoke about how Karens are super territorial because historically white women have been very entitled to their space and um, how a lot of white gentrifiers might identify as liberal but, like, will, like, file complaints about their Hispanic or black neighbors playing loud music at cookouts or, like, you know, just be passive-aggressive within their communities and all that. Yeah, Is it that kind of, like, That's exactly the kind of sentiment behind the term. The people who, like, use uh, Next... What is it, Next Next Door? Next Door. Yeah, the app we talked about in the first episode (laughs) of this season. Yeah, it's, like, you know, people who are, like, people should have affordable housing but not in my neighborhood. Right. Yeah, it sounds similar to, um, like, that, like, I'm okay with gay people as long as it's not one of my kids or, like, as long as they don't do it in front of me. The phrase actually started as a way of, like, making fun of these, like, you know, kind of limousine liberals. Limousine liberals. (laughs) Limousine liberals. I like the way that rolls off the tongue. Uh, I did not come up with it. It, I think some, I didn't think you did. Some Fox guys. No, none of us thought okay. you did. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, you know, those people who, like, want those things for society, but, you know, not in my backyard. And then the people in question started to use that term for themselves. Like, they, like, reclaimed it, I guess. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. Imagine if Karen's reclaimed Karen. It's pretty much what it was. So these people will go out of their way to block like public transit projects from happening in their neighborhoods or just like public housing or just like any any city densifying yeah. thing. Yeah, like a lot of the stigma against public transportation in cities is 100% rooted in racism. Cities themselves are associated with people of color to the point where like urban and inner city is a full-on dog whistle for people of color, specifically black people usually. Oh yeah, like even in corporate fashion lingo when they say like oh make it feel urban that's just code for like make sure black people think it's cool so that they can design things and then we can steal their designs no yeah like there's such a stigma against people who live in cities and if you want proof think of every word that is used to describe people who live in cities all of them are dog whistles okay urban inner city that means black people cosmopolitan jews metropolitan gay people (laughs) there's no way to say person who lives in a city without sounding like a bigot 
Um, but yeah, I mean, people of color are more likely to live in cities and live in poverty because they haven't been able to acquire generational wealth and suburbs for a long time were not an option for them because of that and redlining. So public transit is associated with people of color and people are racist. And we have to talk about Henry Ford. If I could punch one guy in the face, if I could punch one history. guy in the face in history, it would be Henry Ford. Yeah, yeah, he was a racist anti-Semite, wasn't Big one. he? So what did he? What did he do, and how did he do it? Well, he didn't necessarily invent the car or assembly lines or anything, but he did create affordable cars so people who were not super wealthy could drive them, and he also paid his workers more so they could afford his cars. Well, that sounds like a good thing. Because he made them more affordable, right? I mean, I'm just your average Joe, and that sounds pretty cool. Right? But he sold the vision of suburbia to the American people. Like, this was him. He's quoted saying, quote, we shall solve the city problem by leaving the city, end quote. And it wasn't just the rhetoric either. Like, his company, General Motors, funded the diorama Futurama, which was created by um, Norman Bell Geddes. Uh, it basically outlined a world 20 years into the future defined by car dependency and urban sprawl that was shown at the 1939 World's Fair. It played, like, a huge part in ingraining the idea of car dependence into the American consciousness. And this was huge because pretty much only, like, 30 years earlier, not even, people in cars didn't live as harmoniously. I, like, feel like I don't even think about that, like, how people have had to get used to, like, cars being around. Back, literally before, like, the 1930s, car-based infrastructure wasn't developed yet. Um, before the 1920s, pedestrians went wherever they wanted. So that probably meant a lot of people were not looking both ways. Yep, I and then assume. a lot of people died. Mm. And that sparked a general outrage against cars, especially because at the time they were kind of seen like like as luxury products, like yachts, you know? Oh, so Ford kind of helped to change that narrative by making them more affordable. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Ford wasn't the only one. All these All these car companies, they got together... And they created this aggressive campaign to make jaywalking a crime so the problem was the pedestrians, not the cars. Yeah, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of is a dumb thing to get fined for. I mean, fake crime. I guess literally walking in the street. They do it to like maybe disincentivize people from risking their lives, but it has the same vibes as like suicide being illegal. Like, it should be my God given right to step into moving traffic and sue whoever hits me. That's America, baby. So, okay, so Ford was a big one. Yeah, but then of course we have the Koch brothers. I think, I think one of them died actually. So Koch brother, <laughs> singular. I haven't heard of them. Wow. The Koch brothers run the second largest privately owned company in the United States. Um, it's basically a conglomerate that produces gasoline, asphalt, seatbelts, and all the other car shit. Yes, um, car they're shit. They're quite literally textbook evil oil barons who oppose public transit or public investment in transit and support spending tax money on highways and roads. Yeah, just like the Wunsler from the Lorax level greed. Yeah, the New York Times has an article called How the Koch Brothers Are Killing Public Transit Projects Across the Country by Hiroko Tabuchi, and she outlines how their group, Americans for Prosperity, literally goes door to door fear-mongering people about transit and convinces them to vote against it. They also, like, funnel a lot of money into supporting electric cars, which are obviously being marketed as like an alternative to the environmental cost of traditional cars. But if you ask me, it's just a band-aid solution. I don't know much about electric cars past the Tesla ecstasy pills and having ridden in a Tesla Uber once, which was a really smooth ride, to be honest. I'm kind of, I'm a little pro electric car. (laughs) Because I of mean, that. all of the problems that we discussed today are still going to be problems whether or not the cars are electric or not. Electric cars don't solve the problem of car dependency. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I do think it's like a step in the right direction to switch to electric just for other reasons. Yeah. But I guess what you're saying is that it's also a way of like stepping around this fundamental issue that we're seeing as a result of the car industry. Like they're trying to get us to buy, you know, maybe a better car, but it's still a right. car. Right, and, like, in terms of the environment, cars are only part of the problem. Sprawl is, like, another huge problem. And if you have cars that, like, don't emit fumes, but you sprawl, like, that's still a problem. Also, electric cars just cause wars for lithium instead of wars for oil. Like, it's a replacement, not a solution. It might have benefits, but, like, GSM, it's a band-aid. We're not restructuring the way we need to. Okay, so if electric cars aren't enough... And, you know, oil and asphalt and seatbelt lobbies are fighting against public projects. And, and we just, like, 
on a day-to-day basis exist in a car-dependent infrastructure, then, like, is it ever going to change? It's a valid question, but, like, progress is definitely possible. Some potential there. There's definitely some potential there, for sure. But, like, America, a majority of America is not dense enough to support transit at all. So in order to move a majority of Americans away from the car, fundamental changes to how our cities are structured would be required. Implementing more buses, adjusting zoning laws, and optimizing land use. So what do you mean by optimizing land use? So land use is really important when you're talking about transit, because if you're not optimizing the land around a train station and a bus stop, you're not incentivizing people to use those modes. If it's just a station with a parking lot, where are you going to go? You know, Mm -hmm. you have to build stuff around the station. That's how you're going to encourage people to go to that station and use that transit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like you'd rather go to a train station that has little dunky donuts than one that doesn't. (laughs) So like two years ago or whatever, there was this picture going around of this train station they built in China that was literally in the middle of nowhere. Like it was in the middle of a grassy field. It was just a train station entrance in the middle of a grassy field. And everyone was like, oh, look how stupid the Chinese government was building a train to nowhere. But if you look at the same area two years <laughs> later... a different side of the internet. Ha oh, ha, look at the Chinese government building a train to nowhere. That is not the kind of Twitter discourse I see on my iPhone. But if you look at the same station two years later, it's a vibrant urban area with housing and retail and... Things, things are there because transit is there and people are able to get there because of transit and there's transit-oriented development. So you can create like a little walkable neighborhood around a train, basically, is what you're saying. So that's, I guess that's how you just develop walkable areas in general. You have to develop transit first and then optimize land use and then you're like contributing to the economy. You're giving people more options to exist publicly. Well, you can build walkability without transit. It's For sure, but I mean, it's, it sounds like it helps. Building it around transit definitely helps. Yeah. And if you make it easy to drive, people are gonna drive. But if you make the easiest mode transit, people are gonna take that transit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though, because that idea of building more transit and then optimizing the area around it, it's basically like how a lot of New York, especially how like a lot of Brooklyn gets gentrified. Like the areas where there's train access, the areas where the train stations are, are where people go. And so that's where they build all the trendy places because people want to be on the train. That's why some people sometimes argue against creating new transit in certain areas because they're like, oh, it's going to bring gentrification. But that's just proof that we need transit everywhere because if transit makes people flock to an area to the point where it drives prices up that just means that we need more transit um we're <laughs> not pro gentrification no obviously the problem is like any companies any. doing this yes yes you know the problem is with housing and accessibility and the economy and greedy companies but not the trains That's the trains the are the problem that we're trying to make if you know if anything it shows the trains bring economic value to where they're placed um, gentrification is not good, though. <laughs> gentrification is not pro good. Pro-drunk driving, not pro-gentrification. Pro-drunk pro driving. Let's just get I'm actually hitting state. pedestrians with my car while drunk to drive the prices down. Exactly, yeah. in the neighborhood. Yeah. Exactly. We just need more trains in general, and we desperately need nationalized rail. The interstate highway system is nationalized. Why isn't the interstate rail system nationalized? The Japanese rail system is nationalized. The German rail system is nationalized. The <laughs> French, French rail system is nationalized. Why isn't the U.S. system nationalized? We sold it off to large companies to make a profit off of. And they don't want to give it back. And they don't want to give it back, Obviously. So they will put in a lot of money into lobbying the government so that they don't have to give it back if nationalizing the rail ever became a possibility. It's just like transit is a necessary tool in navigating and contributing to the system. Even thinking about the amount of people who are put at a disadvantage due to disabilities because public transit is like bad at accommodating disabilities. Like that's just, I don't know. Exactly. Public transit isn't meant to be profitable. It's just supposed to be a public utility. When it's solely up to corporate interest, efficiency is no longer their main focus. Making as much money as possible is the main focus. Transit should not exist for profit. It should exist for people. And honestly, even if profit is what you're worried about, look at the Japanese model. The Japanese government owns all the rails and leases them out to private companies to run service on. So giving giving companies room to compete in the free market, basically, which is what 
American capitalism is all about. Right, I allegedly. Mean, allegedly. Yeah. Supposedly. Free market, though, could be a slippery slope because they can also just, like, end up raising prices like everything else. But it's good to look at how, like, other models have benefited other countries, and it's always good to entertain the idea that, like, two things can exist at once, like profitability and having customers' best interest, you know? I just know that, like you said, once you're profit-oriented at all, it's harder to be as conscious of the needs of people using your service. It is possible, though. I mean, whether you're radically anti-car infrastructure or not, you like everybody kind of has to admit that we do need to make a change in how we prioritize transit, especially in the wake of, you know, recently there was a train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, that some are calling a Chernobyl Part 2, which is a very big deal. Yeah, it just went down earlier this month. I mean, yeah, it literally happened because our rail maintenance is a mess. It's fucking abysmal. And I think that whole situation speaks to why we should be nationalizing rail in this country. Because we cannot trust these companies to have the safety of their workers in their best interest. We just can't. Their interest is making as much money as possible and you know, they're going to be cutting corners. Literally for years, workers have been saying that there needs to be better working conditions. There needs to be better safety checks for these cars. Like something like this is going to happen. And it happened. It's the company's responsibility to do this kind of maintenance, but obviously they want to give all their money to shareholders. So they're going to skip out on safety. It's more profitable for these companies to not take care of the track infrastructure at all. The rail companies have been recording like, major profits the last few years, but not paying their workers and not ensuring safety. Everybody wants to think it's some, like, grand conspiracy theory. Yeah, what happened in Ohio? I've been seeing that. Like, people are like, they're trying to distract us from aliens. No, it's literally (laughs) just corporate greed. That's all it is. It's always is. It always is. is. People want things to be, like, government conspiracy so bad. But it's just, like, plain and simple. Like, we're past that. Plain corporate It's right in front of your eyes. I think it's astounding how transit in America is breaking down to the point where I am constantly reminded that Pete Buttigieg is the transportation secretary. Like, I should not know who the transportation secretary is. I mean, uh, listen, I'm the first person to dunk on Pete Buttigieg, but he really does not have much pull in this case. Unfortunately, true. It's really hard because our built environment looks so, like, permanent. But, like, there are people that were alive to witness the world as it was before highways plowed through everything. Like, change can happen very quickly. Most conversations about land use and urban development happen on a local level, so if you want to get involved, go to community board meetings about land use. Find out the opinions of your local representatives, you know? It takes a lot of involvement, but it's definitely possible. I think, look, I know local politics is notorious for being boring. But there <laughs> I was is... like, oh, no. <laughs> no, please don't make me go to a board meeting. No. But there is a saying that all politics is local politics. So it's worth paying attention to. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know. I just, I think, like, more people need to become passionate about this issue and learn about it if anyone's expected to be passionate enough to like advocate in local politics because it's like it's not even a prospect to some people like this idea that you could live in a not car dependent society like you know it's just such a big issue to tackle it's also hard for people to even like conceptualize like fathom it yeah because no, so many people have like never experienced a or world been without somewhere that cars. isn't as car dependent yeah, yeah. Yeah, awareness definitely needs to be raised. I think there's, like, a misconception that because we're kind of complacent in car dependency, that means there's no active issue with it. But it's not like people don't want walkable cities. It's that for most people, we can't even conceptualize. Like, we were saying what pre- or post-car dependency would look like. The issue of walkable cities is as talked about as, you know, as a political movement in the way that many other things are. Probably because it's not, like, a particularly sexy issue. It's not, like, I mean, I think it's a very sexy issue. But, you <laughs> No, it's not like, you know, national politics, identity politics. It actually encapsulates both. I mean, this whole thing has racism baked into it. Most Americans can't imagine the world that came before cars, and that was done by design. I mean, obviously, living in New York, we know there's an alternative to car dependency, but even I couldn't understand how America would function without car dependency before I learned about all this stuff. Like, imagine the independence people would have if they were able to go truly anywhere and wherever they wanted without a car. Imagine a national rail that could save you money on plane tickets and be better for the environment. Imagine not having to 
pad out crazy amounts of time to amount for train delays. Imagine not having to think about the train even because it comes so often that you can just show up and it's there, you know? That, like, that... We only notice the train so much because there are so many problems with it. In an ideal world, you don't notice the train. You just, it just it's just there. Right. You know, you take it for granted almost. Who wouldn't want to stop worrying about being on time? Put money into Amtrak. Influence local politicians to build new transit. Raise awareness that there is an alternative. Get on board with wanting walkable environments. Put pressure on politicians. <laughs> we're like go go burn your cars <laughs> this is our fight club era this is I our like, project the mayhem. cars are making me mad like i'm at that point where i see cars no me too. Uh, me like, too i mean it's not like we have to like abolish cars but it's like what you said in, earlier in the episode it should be a choice to have a car not mandatory it's just important to kind of like I guess start thinking about this stuff and talking about it like we often look around us and just kind of accept everything for how it is I think looking into the racist foundations of all of this stuff is really important to understanding like the system that we live in um just talking America about this stuff. is so racist that even the built environment is racist. Yeah, of the course whole, the built yeah, environment is racist. Yeah. When people say America is built on racism, it's like literally it literally built is. On racism. America is quite literally built on bulldozed black neighborhoods. Yep. And the, the bodies of indigenous people creating sedimentary layers underneath. Yep. America was not built for the car. It was bulldozed for the car. Boom. So, do you, uh, do you have any recommendations for YouTube videos, essays, articles, books, any more information on the stuff that you can, like, Definitely. let people know about? Um, Alan Fisher on YouTube, The Armchair Urbanist, um, the YouTube wow. channel Not Just Bikes as well, uh, Segregation by Design on Twitter has a lot of really cool um, videos showing, like, before and afters of, like, highways cutting through cities and shit. Um, also the book, The Power Broker by Robert Caro, um, about Robert Moses and the shit he did to New York City, which we didn't even really get into, but we could have, and there's a lot. That's a whole nother episode. That's a whole other episode. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for educating me and our listeners on this stuff. Um, Gia, do you want to share your social media? Yes. My Instagram and Twitter is... Gia one billion. That's one billion the number, yes. not the word. So. Gia one with nine zeros. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, and remember, kids, transit should be a right, not a privilege. There you go. Thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at What's Gonna Happen Pod or on Twitter at WGH Pod. And from the celebration party for the lawsuit I won after hitting a three-year-old with my Model T, this has been What's Gonna Happen. <laughs> <laughs>